Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Theories. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. So we left off um, with the unsolved murder of Suzanne Joven on December 4th, 1998. And we talked a lot about the evidence and about a whole bunch of pseudoscience. Sorry, I made a weird gesture with my hand and then Randy mirrored me. Anyway, um, so we talked about some pseudoscience. We talked about the evidence that was found, which was really minimal. And now we're going to get into the best part of this, this particular case, which is all of the suspects and the theories for what happened. Um, as we've mentioned before, it's been 20 years and nobody's been indicted for this murder Nobody's been arrested. Um, so, of course, the lovely users of Reddit have a lot of interesting theories. And I'm going to tell them to you. We're going to get into pretty much the most romanticized theory. Um, so, our first possible murderer is James Vandeveld. Who oh, is, my God. That's a fancy name. I know. <laughs> very fancy and very, like... If I was a murderer, I'd want my name to be that. Me too. You know, James Vandeveld. Arrested. At it again. At it again. <laughs> oh my God. Professor Vandeveld <laughs> is Suzanne's professor and her senior thesis advisor during her time at Yale. So he's the- The paper is coming back. Yes. Don't worry. The paper will be back yet again. There are a couple times I mentioned the paper, so hope you're paying attention. Um, so just some background on- James here. Um, I don't know if he if he would ever listen to this, but I feel like he would hate me for calling him James. He probably goes by Jim. Jim. <laughs> so Jim. Or Dr. Vandeveld. Exactly. Um, I don't think he has his PhD. I think he... He's a professor at Yale. Oh, no, he has a doctorate. He just probably kidding. has his PhD. <laughs> I, I literally have that written down right here. <laughs> okay, anyway, so he joined the Naval Reserves after receiving a doctorate from... <laughs> Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts in International Security Studies, and he did his undergraduate at Yale. So this guy is super smart, is involved in the U.S. government, all that good stuff. So if he murdered someone, you're telling me it could be covered up. I cannot deny. He's got friends on the inside. <laughs> He's got friends on the inside. He could probably He's cover up a murder. The band. Yeah, I mean, he was a Naval Reserve guy, and studied international security. But also, I can only imagine. I doubt he's dumb enough to murder someone in that way if he's studied international security. Exactly. I don't know. Military but stuff. It's been 20 years and nobody's found anything, so I don't know. It's pretty clever. Anyway. That could be a good red herring. It could. It could be a very effective red herring. Anyway, <laughs> so he was considered a suspect really quickly by the police. Um, they said he was in the pool of suspects after some info leaked by a journalist. Ooh, journalist. So crafty. <laughs> okay. Um, so he doesn't really have an alibi. And according to an article published by the New York Times um, in 1999, so this is like him stating, I didn't do it. And I'm going to tell the whole world. Here's my story. Right. So it's that kind of an article. And he says, and I quote, Worked late in his Yale office, went home, and watched an episode of Friends that he had taped. He <laughs> reheated a month-old burrito, and he surfed the channels, lingering on Discovery, to watch the big cats. End quote. Month-old burrito? Month-old burrito. That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm glad that's the only thing you took out of, out of that. <laughs> he was alone at the time, so he doesn't have anyone to corroborate his story. 
he lives a block from the crime scene. And reportedly, Suzanne was mad at him for a misunderstanding with her thesis, which she had turned in earlier that day. He already read her thesis? Yeah, so it was just the first draft of her thesis. I Those think. are still very long papers. I, very true. They're like 50 plus sometimes for hmm. dissertations. Hmm. So I don't know. Maybe he was just really devoted to her thesis paper. But they had gotten into an argument. But of course, he was her thesis advisor. So I'm sure they had talked about the oh, content you're right, previously. You're right. I forgot about so that. So that, that's probably where the argument popped up. Um, so I found his LinkedIn profile. Reaper. I know. Thank you. I'm glad you think that that's what I am. <laughs> and are telling the world. Okay. So from his time at Yale, he posted this statement. So, quote, received the highest student evaluations in the Department of Political Science in every semester taught and received the second highest in all of Yale University, end quote, which is actually proven. That's actually true. He said this about himself. Yeah. Well, you know. Narcissist. <laughs> it's LinkedIn. You have to be narcissistic. You got to be like, oh, you're, oh I true. can do this. Oh, and I can do this. And I'm a leader, even though I've never led anyone. And I know how to use Word. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My LinkedIn says that. But... Exactly. I just feel like murderers are always narcissistic, and I'm just drawing a parallel. Yes, but I feel like... But you're right. They're two unconnected things. (laughs) Yeah, basically. LinkedIn is LinkedIn. You can be narcissistic on LinkedIn. That's the only time. Um... So I kind of feel bad for this guy because he doesn't have a direct alibi, unfortunately, but he doesn't really have a motive either. He was admired by all of his students. He was a respected member of the military. He worked with the police during this investigation and was compliant throughout the entire process. I mean, they like interviewed him for four hours when the case was first open and he totally went with it. He told them everything. He was really understanding. That's All a long that time. I know. Four hours is a long time to be interrogated. I if he got a snack. <laughs> Probably a month old burrito. <laughs> Probably asked for that by name. Yeah, he was he like, was... I don't want this fresh burrito. Get this I... out of my sight. Get it. I need... Go age it. <laughs> it's like a nice aged wine right. or cheese or something. I don't know. Sorry, Jim, if that's not right. We're going to call him Jim from now on because I feel like we're friends. Um, So the other unfortunate thing about this is that he was removed as a professor from Yale University and was given the title of lecturer, which just means he isn't paid as much. And he actually had to move away from Connecticut in order to find another job, despite the fact that he was a suspect for about four days and then was declared innocent for this case. So that kind of sucks. That sucks, sucks, yeah. Um, Especially since he was respected by his students, which is really important for a teacher um, because you want them to obviously connect with their students and motivate them and all that stuff. And and he had really high reviews, so that was unfortunate. Um, He did, however, file a case against the New Haven Police Department, and it was settled in 2013, and he won 200 thousand dollars from it and he now works for john hopkins university so i feel like he's doing okay now that's an upgrade yeah absolutely i don't know john hopkins yale they're uh, kind of they're yeah. both ivy league but, but at he, the same time but he won a lawsuit so he probably has a lot of money yeah for I mean, new burritos t- yeah two hundred thousand dollars oh wow yeah I, I think i did not hear <laughs> I, you say I, that i did say that yeah. okay <laughs> that was our first suspect okay so and our few no yeah so he's out x Okay, number two is called The Running Man. So if you remember, as far back as episode one, in our timeline, we have a female motorist t- 
tell the police that she saw a man, a white male, sprint past her and disappear into this church, which was right across the street from where Suzanne's body was found. Um, So she saw him running at about like 10 o'clock-ish, and she called it frantic. Um, So that's the guy who's the running man. Um, For those of you who read the descriptions, I will have a picture of what she told police the guy looked like. We had a very in-depth conversation about how attractive he was because he is. So that's the guy. Um, So just another fact about the running man is that he was seen wearing a green jacket. So that's another little piece of evidence there. Okay. So. Green jacket. (laughs) Green jacket. Running Is that important later? That'll be important. Okay, you said it like it was important. (laughs) Yes. I, yes. (laughs) Um, So the next person I'm going to talk to you about is the one that's really interesting. So... All we know is that the guy is called Billy. Um, The most information is on Billy, and he seems to be the most likely person that would have done it. So, ding, ding, ding. Billy's our guy. Okay. I agree with this. Um, You can tell me if you agree with me later. Okay. But um, let's just dig in, because he's (laughs) really weird and interesting. Okay. So the official first name of Billy has not been released by the police department. So this is not his real name. Um, An acquaintance of Billy named Giles Carter. That is his real name. That's a cool name. I know. It's very interesting. I know. What's up, New Haven? Okay. Giles Uh Carter. Giles Carter, who lived literally on the street where Suzanne was found, um, said that Billy had mental issues and that he had told him, um, and I quote, that he was obsessed with the murder of Suzanne Joven, unquote. Um, so apparently Billy said this to Giles when they were out walking one day after Billy had either been off his meds or had previously overdosed and was dealing with the clapback of the overdose. So there was something off in Billy's character and with his medication while he was saying this. So that's sort of what concerned Giles because Billy had social issues and mental disorders. So do we know what he... His no. medication was for? We don't know anything personal about Billy, unfortunately. So just it because have been it could have been anything. anything. I mean, I don't know if it was just depression. I don't know if it was an anxiety disorder. It could have been any number of things. I don't know if it was schizophrenia. I have no idea. Um, and all of that information is protected by the police, and I will tell you why. So I feel like being interested in a murder. Does not make you a murderer. Right. Because if that were the standard, we would be murderers. And we're not. And we're not murderers. I can tell you that with absolute certainty. Is that all we have against no. Billy? So we have some more information about him, which is why I sort of was like, oh, okay, Billy, I see you over there in the corners. Don't hide. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Giles also said Billy had problems with women because of his mental state. In an article from the New Haven Register, Carter says, quote, I think he had a hard time being in a room with a woman, but he was really drawn to them, end quote. It's, I don't know, and I see that a lot in major serial cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. serial killer cases. It clicked for me when it said, when his friend said that he had trouble being in a room with women, but he was obsessed with them. Like, he would talk about them all the time. He was obsessed with Suzanne, who had just been murdered. Like, that's, I don't know, the connection was there, and that made me it put a little light in my head. So 
Giles also mentioned that Billy, quote, flew into a fit of rage, unquote, when he was rejected by women. Oh, no. Now, okay. <laughs> I know. So it Billy, just. Yeah, Billy, get your crap stop. together. I know. Like, come on. Stop being mean when women reject you. You know what? Just be nice. And then maybe women won't reject you. Yeah. <laughs> be nice and women may or may not reject you. I don't know. If they still reject you, then oh well. Yeah. They're like they have the right to reject you. So ultimately Billy wasn't looked into as a true suspect by the police, but the underbelly of this case and all the true crime obsessed people uh mentioned him as a suspect even more than the running man suspect who was seen at the scene of the crime. Like he was there. By one person. By one person, granted, but nobody's like saw anything happen to Suzanne. So if one person saw something, I feel like I don't know. Yeah. This case is weird with the eyewitness stuff. It's really strange. Billy sounds a little guilty. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. That's a little, actually a lot unfair to say someone murdered someone just because of a statement. And Right. Absolutely. And I think the police did the best they could with what they had. Um, and just like one friend coming forward and, and saying hearsay. he was weird. Exactly. I wouldn't it's even absolutely hearsay. Be it's all circumstantial. Court. It doesn't have anything to do with the actual murder. Anyway. Um Well, unless the friend testified. Sorry. Exactly. So <laughs> correction. Unfortunately for this case, Billy was killed in 2012 during a car accident. He hit a Jersey barrier on I-95 in Connecticut. He got out of the car and walked into incoming traffic where he was hit by a car and died on the scene due to head trauma. Now so I feel bad. <laughs> I know. So this was clearly a suicide and I believe his death is the reason why his last name and his real first name aren't released to the public and why a lot of his information about his mental illness and um, about Giles Carter didn't really, I don't know. It just, the suicide messed things up. So... If I was kind of they were convinced it was him, if there was enough evidence to prove it, then we would know who he yeah, was. Absolutely, but because this is a high-profile case at this point, that's really sad. I feel yeah. bad for Billy and his family, but yeah, can't help but thinking that it that's may a, have been a guilty an admission of guilt. Yeah. yeah. There's another fact that Carter came forward with Giles Carter. Um, he said that Billy looks a lot like the Running Man, um, and he was in it. Billy was an architect student at Yale, and he carried exacto knives around, which could have been what was used to kill Suzanne. Because yes, it's a flimsy knife. That exactly. Broke off of it. So if you remember, oh, it's coming together. Yeah, part of the murder weapon was found in one of the head wounds um, on Suzanne's body. So a flimsy exacto knife could have broken off very easily during the attack. That would also make sense that she was still alive when the doctor got there because yeah an exacto knife not that deep of a stab no I, it's a small little blade and that would make sense why you would have to but stab someone 17 times for it to be cuz you have such a small blade yeah, yeah. hmm you know and apparently he Billy has a green jacket that was another thing that Giles Carter came forward with which okay, was well, I have a green jacket i know I also you have a green have, I do have a green jacket. I have a green jacket. Um, so the last little theory that we have for this case is her thesis paper. I told you to remember it. 
I remembered. So excited that you remembered. Okay. So some people believe that Suzanne was killed due to the content of her thesis project. Can you guess what the content of her thesis project was being a political science student in 1998? Mm, can I have a clue? Okay. Uh, okay. So think of a, a group. Terrorism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, it was Al-Qaeda. So her thesis paper focused on the terror group Al-Qaeda. And conspirators think that the content of her paper, which focused specifically on Osama bin Laden, was the reason that she was killed. Um, Her attorney for the case, uh, David Rosen, even said when asked about the connection, um, he said, quote, we exchanged some comments about it, end quote. So what, Osama bin Laden put a hit on Suzanne Jovin Jovin. to be killed via X-Acto knife 17 times? (laughs) This makes no sense. Yeah, no. Okay. I think Billy did it. Billy, I don't think we found, I found any connection with Billy and Suzanne. Um, So, of course, there was that email that we had mentioned before that she had sent out saying that she was going to go get study materials from someone. So I still think that someone is who killed her. Whoever that someone is. If it's Billy, if it's not. Why do you think that? So because she was going to go pick up those study materials and drop them off in the morning. So this is late at night. She's going to go get them and then leave them in the morning, which she specifically says in her email, for her friend. So whoever the mysterious someone was, I feel like that might have been the last person to see her alive, or it could have been the person who killed her. Well, maybe... Feelings, but... (laughs) Maybe Billy set it up to get the study materials, maybe asked her out, and she rejected him, and... Yeah, exactly, and then he was like, I can't control my feelings, because I'm I'm a dumb man. Which is horrible, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I don't know. There's a lot of different theories that go with... I know, it's really interesting, and really, that profile could fit anyone. Mm. There's a lot of things... And there's just not enough evidence to find anyone. And there's still an open call line, which drives me insane. And nobody, oh man, it's just a lot. Okay, anyway, so the case reopens several different times. So we see it in 2002 um, when the Hartford Courant, which is a newspaper, um, as well as a friend of uh, Vandeveld, Jimmy, Um, His name is Jeffrey Mitchell, the friend. Um, They applied to have the case files released to the public, which was at first denied by the department and by the Joven family because of some of the sensitive information in the case. Um, They asked for 4,500 documents and a 911 call to be made public. The judge granted this, but then the city filed for an appeal. So it was a while before the documents were ever released, but that's how we got the information about the email was this first FOIA case request exactly request thank you and then it was opened again in 2009 with the stupid dna thing and um then in september uh 2017 uh which is the most recent opening um so the police the new haven police department reopened and they called it a high profile case in an attempt to solve the crime there are no new suspects which whatever. Uh, but the case was reopened after a film documentary crew tried to access the case files under the Freedom of Information Act. Again, the department denied access and at the hearing claimed the case was still ongoing despite the state chief attorney, Kevin Kane, 
Chief Kane, uh, dismissing the investigative team that was hired. <laughs> they were just saluted. <laughs> what is the chief? I don't know. Um, so he dismissed the investigative team that was hired to solve the case about two years ago. Um, so that's kind of weird that he dismissed it. And then in t- 2017, they were like, no, it's still active. We're still doing stuff. Like, are you? I don't, I don't know. But anyway... So the department also stated in 2017 that they were planning on using hypnotists on several of the witnesses to help them remember exactly what they saw that night. Um, Now, from the list of people that I saw and just from who I talked about in the timeline, there were a ton of witnesses. So that kind of makes sense. But hypnotism, I'm a skeptic when it comes to that sort of stuff. Mm. I believe in ghosts, but I don't believe in hypnotists. Um, (laughs) The people on campus who saw her leave to the numerous amount of homeowners in the area who heard screams and who found her so quickly to the point of where she was still alive when they found her. Um, It's just insane the amount of people that were involved. And yet we have our unknown 35 minutes. Um, The police are just sort of scrambling at this point to find who killed her. It's been 20 years. It's going to be 20 years this December. So it's just a lot. Um, There is now also a reward out for any information, and the state of Connecticut Division of Criminal Justice issued this statement. And I quote, Suzanne Joven, a talented and popular senior at Yale University, was stabbed to death near the corner of Edge Hill Road and East East Rock Road in New Haven on December 4th, 1998. In June of 2007, New Haven State Attorney Michael Darrington called together a team of retired Connecticut State Police detectives to undertake an independent inquiry into the murder. This team reevaluated all information from prior inquiries into the murder and is now seeking out information not previously known to authorities. The investigation is now handled by the Division of Criminal Justice Cold Case Unit, which continues to pursue investigative leads. The Joven investigative team also continues to devote a significant amount of personal time as unpaid consultants to solve this case. The state of Connecticut has offered a reward up to $50,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Suzanne Joven's murderer. Yale University has committed an additional $100,000 to the reward, end quote. So there's a $150,000 reward out right now for information about Suzanne, and it has been out since 2017. Nobody's claimed it. I don't know about you, but I feel like if this had been done to a girl who looked different or who was... No one would care. Yeah, no. If it had been done to a Latina student or even a black student, I feel like this would not be happening. And maybe that's You're me. absolutely correct. I, maybe that's me just making an assumption, but I really no, do feel that's that that's No, that's not an right. assumption. That would... No one yeah. would be putting money towards it. No one would care. And it would have been dropped like a week, yeah. a week after once they realized that no one saw anything. Yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate. And we actually, there's a lot of proof. Actually, wait, that. if a Latina or a black girl were in that, that neighborhood, people would have seen something. Cause oh, yeah. That would have been they noticeable. Would have, suburbia. <laughs> right. They would have taken notice of someone like, I, I know they would have. Right. And we're not saying that Suzanne doesn't deserve this. Because just, she does. She definitely does. We're just saying. If it had been someone different. Everyone deserves it. Absolutely. Everyone deserves this amount of attention, even if it's a 20-year-old case. If Billy was to be the murderer, he could plead a case of insanity, saying that he was not under the proper... Honestly, that seems like, very fair yeah. and plausible. So he can have a defense that the defendant committed under the prescribed act or acts under the influence mm-hmm. of extreme emotional disturbance, 
for which there is no reasonable explanation or excuse, which basically is like you can have a defense of insanity in the state of Connecticut, which in, in most states, that's what you can plead insane. Right. But uh, the court's deeming of someone to be insane is very different than mm-hmm. if you are diagnosed with a mental illness. So it's not like you can have any mental illness and then be that right. defend yourself under the insanity clause you have to have an actual like disease well even if you have that the court has yeah, the to the court has to do an evaluation that. yeah and it's a psychiatric evaluation and it's really intense apparently i don't know and they they have a very high bar yeah absolutely i mean like you have to be bar lol <laughs> 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 the bar exam what the bar <laughs> We're gonna the bar association. You're gonna have to take that exam. <laughs> Just saying. Ugh. Oh, we're both pre-law students. If you guys <laughs> didn't know, yeah. So bar exam. Woo-hoo. You know, I'm I'm so mad that nobody has come forward with any information or that nothing was seen. Like it may be that nobody saw anything, which is nuts. And it just may be that weird instance of like an odd 35 minutes that were only like experienced by Suzanne and her killer. And I think that's horrible. Okay. Well, that's Um, the unsolved murder. I love that story, Claire. Thank you. Good job. Thanks for telling her story because I know you're, you're I think it was, I think it was told a lot initially, but it's kind of dwindled and lost. It has. She was so lovely and she was so smart and obviously was going to make an impact on the world. And it's just a bummer what happened and that nobody has knows anything. So well, good vibes to yeah. Suzanne's family and to Billy's family and mm-hmm. to and Jimmy and his burritos. Yeah, and- Jimmy and his do what you want, Jimmy, but maybe see a doctor about all those month old burritos. Right. It's probably not healthy for you. No. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to part three of the unsolved murder of Suzanne Joven. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye.